Greetings to you, friends, from the airwaves, broadcasting to the nation and around the world, coming to you from Nick 1150 AM radio. This is Blair Hebert, story creator of the Sputnik Satellite Radio Show. Today, we're looking at the character backstory and timeline for Daryl Lang, part two. Daryl fixes his medication and makes his way down the stairs to North Rampart Street early in the evening on his way to Congo Square for a date with his park bench. As he enters the square, he sees his bench is being occupied. Momentarily confused, he stops to look for another seat when the person seated waves to him and beckons him to come over and sit. It is an elegantly dressed middle-aged woman who he remembers from the wedding reception a few weeks back. He makes his way toward the bench, not knowing what to say as he arrives, so he says nothing and sits beside her in silence to listen to the band. He closes his eyes and drifts into dream time as usual, with his hands gently placed on his lap. The lady smells very good, and he can detect the slight hint of jasmine in her perfume, which he inhales deeply and smiles. This makes him feel safe and comfortable. He feels her soft hand touch his on his lap, and pat it gently. He senses her compassion and her strength, and he gives a little smile of appreciation. Emotions well up as he recalls the nameless nurse of hospital number 21, who often patted his hand. He chokes back his emotion and continues to sit in silence with his eyes closed. They sit together on the bench till the end of the evening. When Daryl opens his eyes, he looks at her closely for the first time and says, hello, my name is Daryl. She is a Creole woman, elegantly dressed in silk and jewelry, and when she speaks, it's with an unrecognizable accent. She introduces herself as Willie, but most folks call her the Countess. She then asks, were you injured in the European War? Daryl nods, yes. Would you like to be free from addiction, son? She looks directly into his eyes. I can help you with that. Daryl grasps her hand and says, yes, ma'am. Come to this address tomorrow and plan to stay for a while. It will take time and a true desire to recover, but we will make it more than comfortable for you. She hands him a small card with her address at 317 Basin Street. Come as soon as possible and we will begin the recovery of your true self. The Countess then pulls out a diamond-crusted cigarette case and lights up a strong-smelling tobacco. She extends her hand again and says, Au revoir, à la prochaine. Daryl stares at the card. Basin Street, it was a couple of miles away from Rampart, he immediately begins planning his route to get there by streetcar. Daryl is up early next morning and begins his walking towards the Rampart St. Claude streetcar line. It's a short walk from his rooming house. Along the way, he happened across a large Confederate starred jasmine plant growing wild on an old telegraph pole. He delicately removes a large bouquet and ties it up with a piece of string he always carries in his pocket for such occasions. Arriving at the address of a large mansion, he proceeds to climb the stairs to a magnificent front door and rings the bell. The door opens and he's greeted by a fashionably dressed young woman. Feeling awkward in his common clothes and walking cane, he simply asks for the Countess. She treats him with the warmest smile and says, You must be Daryl. She takes him by the arm and leads him in as the most welcome guest. He is led into a fine drawing room where the Countess is distributing money into the open hand of a young woman. 
She smiles broadly and exclaims, You came. Good for you. Daryl presents his jasmine flowers to the countess, and she motions to the young girl who takes them and places them in a crystal vase. The countess comments that she loves the smell of jasmine more than any other flower. Daryl agrees. The countess then looks directly into his eyes and says, Let's get right down to business, Daryl. You need help right now to get free from addiction, and I'll help you with that. But I must warn you clearly, it won't be easy, and if you misbehave, I won't be nice about it. Unfortunately, you've been targeted by a local dealer who has gotten you addicted to heroin. Daryl hangs his head in shame. The countess slaps her hand on the desk and says, There's no time for self-pity in this house. We have to work quickly and with conviction. Now go with Pauline. She will take you to your room. You will not leave this room unless escorted. And if you disobey this rule, you will be asked to leave. Understood? Yes, Countess. Good. And from now on, you will answer me with oui, madame. That will be all for today. Pauline leads Daryl away, and he's not sure what he has gotten himself into. When they arrive at his room in the rear of the house over the kitchen... Daryl walks into a large hardwood floor space with vaulted ceilings and large open windows with long white linen curtains flowing in the breeze. Pauline asks Daryl to remove all his clothes and stand next to a narrow sheeted table near a large enameled clawed bathtub. Daryl complies. She begins to run a warm bath and he stands there covering his privates with his hands. He mumbles he's aware he's in a brothel, but it's the first time and he's not been publicly naked for years. Pauline giggles and tells him, By city ordinance, the home is no longer a brothel, but rather a private health spa. She winks and says, And you're not the first naked man I've seen, and you look good. Another girl, a young Asian therapist dressed in white, enters without making eye contact and pours a vial of volatile oil into the bath. A spicy waft of jasmine fills the air, and Daryl takes a deep breath in and enters the warm water and relaxes. After a good soak, Daryl is laid out on the sheeted table, and the girl in the white frock proceeds to examine his wounds and assess the mobility of his joints. She proceeds to take his weight, blood pressure, and full measurements, including his uneven leg lengths. She instructs him to lay on his stomach, and she begins a full-body massage. Confident she can provide him physical therapy to relieve pain and increase mobility, she delivers exact instructions for specific exercises to do five times a day. She will see him before bed. As the withdrawal from heroin begins, Daryl feels nauseous and irritated and asks for a drink of gin to settle his nerves. The girl in white brings him a bitter drink in a shot glass and a mash of paste to consume and then has him lie back down to relax. Within minutes, Daryl begins feeling the effects of the two concoctions and has no desire to move. The girl in white then sits with him as he starts tripping on psilocybin mushrooms. The mushroom experience is amazing and gets him in touch with the source of his physical pain and his psychological trauma. The girl in white asks him what he is feeling, and he replies he can feel his hip bone grinding in its socket when it moves. She gently takes his left leg and begins manipulating movement to where it feels good, gently stretching where it is stuck. Daryl breathes deeply into the movements and feels the tight muscles unlock 
and the joint moved painlessly back into place for the first time in months. By now, Daryl's mind has gone into a psychedelic trip, and he is talking to his younger self in tears, forgives his mistakes and the accident with Bonnie, and he leaves the horror of the trenches. He wakes up in the morning feeling purged and much lighter. He does his daily routine as many times as required for a month, and Daryl never once leaves the room. His addiction to heroin is in remission, and although difficult to kick, as is his addiction to alcohol, he notices his pain levels decreasing, and he no longer feels the uncontrollable urge to fix. He consults with his higher self and makes a pledge to remain alcohol and drug-free from now on and focus on the next phase of his life. One day, while Daryl was doing his exercises in the nude, which has become his daily practice, Pauline enters the room with a big smile and an even bigger gift bag for Daryl, a graduation present from Madame Countess. Daryl opens the wrapped gifts and finds a fresh selection of underwear and socks, a new fashionable tailored suit with two shirts and a tie combination. In a box, he finds a handmade pair of shoes with a matching belt, notices the left shoe, has a sole thicker than the right shoe by an inch and a half. Pauline sits Daryl in a chair and gives him a shave and a haircut. Daryl dresses, and Pauline brings in a dressing mirror for him to look at. He is amazed at the transformation. He puts on the shoes and begins to walk around the room without a limp. He is humbled and speechless. Pauline leads Daryl from his room down to the drawing room of the Countess. She smiles and rises to greet him. They embrace, and she compliments him on his success. She informs him she has an appointment and will see him one day in the square. Daryl takes his leave and walks effortlessly to the streetcar station to make his way back to North Rampart Street. When Daryl arrives in his district, he decides to continue walking down to Congo Square. A jazz band is playing, and he sees someone sitting on his bench. So he decides to stand and watch the band for the first time. Soon he feels the music moving him, and in a moment of total freedom, he begins dancing freestyle as locals smile at his joyous expression. Most don't recognize him as the addicted war vet who formerly haunted the park bench. Daryl realizes this and laughs in gratitude. He is in full recovery. October 29, 1929, the stock market crashes and America is falling fast into the Great Depression of the 1930s. Daryl is not affected as he was not invested in stocks. He begins blueprinting his radio designs and registers his modified, custom-designed, handcrafted piezoelectric crystal resonators and oscillators with the patent office. He develops a plan to operate as a traveling consultant and will travel from city to city visiting radio stations and factories selling his modified components and expertise to other radio operators. As a side job, he also offers his services, replacing any single-wire earth-return circuits with twisted-pair wiring. Although twisted-pair wiring has been invented in the 1880s by Alexander Graham Bell, small communities and municipalities throughout the Midwest were still using the single telegraph wire, originally used by the pioneers. Municipalities were glad to pay for the service, and he always had more work than he could handle. This keeps him busy and traveling through the first part of the dirty 30s. In the summer of 1933, on a successful return home trip from the West Coast, he was flush with cash and felt like celebrating. 
So he went to Congo Square to unwind and enjoy some jazz. While standing near the band, he was approached by an old familiar face. Like a phantom, his nemesis heroin dealer appeared. And Daryl's heart pounded in his chest, and he felt like he just got a punch in the gut. As the dealer attempted to engage him in conversation, Daryl noticed the Swiss young immigrant and his Creole wife and two small children. He excused himself and wandered over to talk with them. Just like that, his nemesis disappeared. He introduced himself to the couple and shared that he had been at their wedding. The Swiss immigrant introduced himself as Thomas Albright and his beautiful wife introduced herself as Odette. Neither Thomas nor Odette remembered Daryl, as the transformation was that dramatic. He does not try to explain his change, but freely talks about what he does for a living when asked. Tomas is ecstatic to discover another radio aficionado like himself. Daryl is delighted to hear this and asks him if he is working anywhere in the field. Tomas replies no, but desperately wants to. He comes from a family of watchmakers, and he has a small shop in their flat where he does watch repairs. Daryl, realizing he may have found someone who can hand-build his patented piezo crystal designs and further his work on the transistors he's developing, he's overjoyed. Daryl has more work than he can handle working alone and decides to offer the young Swiss an opportunity to go on the road and work with him a couple of weeks a month if he's interested. If it works out, they can set up a small workshop to build custom radio components and sell them as upgraded parts to radio stations and to institutions on the road. Tomas and Odette both jump for joy and begin dancing a silly jive routine they've practiced together. For a moment, Daryl's inner sight returns and he sees their aura of love flash like a beacon and is amazed to notice it happened while sober and with his eyes open. Confirmation that he is in good graces. He smiles, glad that the gift of sight has not left him. He's also able to see a little light glowing in Odette and senses she is with child. Odette looks at Daryl with a big smile and takes his hand and leads him into the square for a dance. Daryl accepts her invitation and moves to the music for the first time in years with a woman in his arms. He has finally returned. Radio business was especially lucrative in the last quarter of 1933, and Tomas was a talented salesman, an installer on the road, and an excellent technician on the bench. By the new year, they had made enough money to set up a small shop just off Cannell Street and celebrate Christmas with a bonus. Cannell was the widest street in America at the time and drew a lot of foot traffic. The small shop was often visited and Tomas was able to sell custom-made radios to locals while Daryl conducted business out of town. Tomas and Odette were in their last trimester for their third child and the expectation was it would be a boy. Daryl spent Christmas and New Year's celebrating with Tomas and Odette that year and by February 1st, the new baby was born. It was a girl. Undaunted by the surprise, they named the child Tracy. In Latin, the name invokes the spirit of strength. When the baby was christened that year, Daryl was asked to be the godfather, but declined as he had no religious affiliation to the church and felt it would be hypocritical. So he attended the christening and accepted his place as Uncle Daryl to the children and developed a special fondness for Tracy. During the 30s, the Lang and Albright radio shop off Cannell Street became a popular location for radio hobbyists and consumers as they could buy supplies for 
do-it-yourself crystal radio kits, or purchase the new fine-tuned tube amplifier radio sets. Eventually, Tomas ran the shop as Daryl remained on the road. Daryl preferred traveling as he found sitting for too long focused on technical work gave him a stiff hip and neuralgia down his left leg. After returning from an extended trip, Tomas informed Daryl that RCA lawyers had been haunting around the shop to see if there were any patent infringements, and after finding none, offered to buy out the business at a handsome sum. Impressed with the quality parts developed by Daryl and built by Tomas, the offer also included a developer position with the new research laboratories being built in Princeton, New Jersey. If the offer was accepted, they would convert the shop into an RCA distributor outlet. They also offered to move Tomas and his family to New Jersey, where he would help design the new radio lab. Tomas was very excited about this development, and Daryl was also interested. Sale of the shop would make them both decently well off and provide a new opportunity for the young family. Daryl agreed. In May 1938, Tomas moved his family to New Jersey. Daryl remained in New Orleans and purchased a small single-story cottage in the Garden District. The Countess has been deceased for four years now, and he brings Jasmine to her grave regularly and just sits with her memory in silence. He's been sober for 10 years, and it's been 20 years since he lay in the hospital bed near death in hospital number 21. Daryl is contemplating his next incarnation, and he begins working out the plans for a radio station and a location where he can establish or acquire a large transmitter for maximum coverage. Daryl is kept in touch with Pauline and the quiet white frocked therapist who nursed him back to health at 317 Basin Street. He sees them both regularly. He has completely transformed as a person and counts his blessings every day. He continues his daily exercises and receives physical therapy often and always with a happy ending. As the autumn arrives, Daryl gets the itch to move and decides to head to the East Coast to test the waters. His reputation precedes him, and he's welcome in every door he knocks upon. It seems like everyone wants to amp up the radio receivers and boost their transmitters using his patented components. All this must be done to code, and Daryl always works with local engineers to have every job stamped with approval. To date, none of his modifications have failed in inspection. Traveling through New Jersey, Daryl visits the Albrights and comes to discover that young Tracy has just had a concussion after an accident and is moody and crying a lot. He's dismayed and offers his condolences. Young parents are distracted during the visit and Daryl decides it's best to take his leave and connect in a few weeks on his way back home. Daryl catches the Trenton line to Hoboken and on to West 33rd Street and rushes to catch the 20th Century Express out of Grand Central, New York City, to LaSalle Street Station in Chicago. As he makes his way to his shared sleeping car, he introduces himself to Nick Nicholas, who will share the next 15 hours with him. He's on his way to a gig in Chicago with the Fletcher Henderson Band. Daryl does not know the band, but perhaps he will come to the show tomorrow evening, as he is free to do so. Nick and Daryl strike up a conversation about employment, and when Daryl tells Nick he works in radio, Nick immediately assumes he means a radio station spinning records, and asks if he is an announcer. Daryl chuckles and says the most announcing he's ever done is yelling for morphine from a hospital bed in France during the war. 
Nick and Daryl share a laugh. No, nothing so exciting, he explains. He has business to conduct with the Galvin Manufacturing Corporation, better known as Motorola, in Chicago. Nick knows this name. Daryl and Nick talk for hours and really strike up a nice friendship. Little do they realize, but in 10 years, they will be partners in a successful radio station situated near the U.S.-Canadian border. End of Part 2, Backstory and Timeline for Daryl Lang. Please join us for the final episode of the season next week, The Birth of Nick 1150 AM Radio, End of Season 1 for the Sputnik Satellite Radio Show. Thank you for listening. This is Blair Hebert signing off. See you next week. Au revoir. À la prochaine.